This episode and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Black Magic Design. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Today is a very special episode of the No Film School Podcast and perhaps a momentous occasion in the history of the universe itself. That's right, the very balance of the cosmos hangs at a thread as Academy Award-nominated screenwriter John Fusco and former No Film School producer John Fusco finally meet to discuss their craft. John Fusco is, of course, the legendary screenwriter who dropped out of high school at age 16 to travel the South as a blues musician before returning to the Northeast and attending Tisch School of the Arts at New York University. He later went on to write such hit films as Young Guns, Hidalgo, and most recently, Netflix's The Highwaymen, which made its debut at 2019's edition of the South by Southwest Film Festival. In all seriousness, this was one of the most fun interviews I have ever had, and I am really excited to share it with you guys all today. The man has been writing films for over 30 years and has a wealth of knowledge to share with us all, including practices on how to become disciplined and stay that way, getting yourself into the screenwriting zone, and ways to retain control of your script once it hits the production stage. Enjoy. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and um, (laughs) I've been waiting for this podcast uh, for the past, ever since I got reached out to by your uh pr people i was confused at first because i didn't really know what they were asking me like to interview who they were asking me to interview they asking me to interview myself <laughs> like what was going on but um i'm here today with john fusco uh hi john <laughs> john fusco nice to meet john you fusco yes are we should we go fusco or fusco for this one fusco fusco okay fusco, we yeah. are both fusco we are both john fusco <laughs> and that's uh, that's not that common yeah, no, yeah. it's not. Um, <clears throat> and we also both found out that we're from the same area. We're from. We're both from the. We both uh, descend from the the Campobasso Campania region mm-hmm. of, of Italy. Mm-hmm. The Fusco. So we're probably related. Yeah, it's, and yeah. we have. We both have blue eyes. Yes. I, I think like if you were to see us on the street, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. you'd be very confused. Yeah. Um, I wanted to open with this story because I think it's one of the funnier things that's happened to me. Um, so I just made a short film last year, and I was scouting at Airbnbs um, down in Maryland. And uh, the, one of the persons that I was scouting their Airbnb just was like so excited that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like kind of thrown off by it because I'm not, you know, I'm not really anyone to get so excited about. Um, they wanted to take like pictures with me. They told me they were so, how honored they were to have me like come grace their home. And uh, so I take a picture with them and later on I get tagged in it on Instagram. And underneath the uh, picture is a caption that reads, so excited that like three, how many Academy Awards have you been nominated for? Well, uh, you know, one with the, uh uh, for the animation award, mm-hmm. but the <laughs> you know other awards, but that is hysterical. Yeah, so they they yeah. thought that I was you. Yeah, and uh, I was like, oh man, I am so such a disappointment to these people. But um, you are, I mean, a storied screenwriter, um, starting with you know Young Guns, 
back in the was that the 80s it was the late 80s the late yeah. 80s yeah <clears throat> um and then you know since then hidalgo uh spirit is what the, mm-hmm. the animated film you were nominated for yeah and right now you're here at south by southwest with the highwaymen which is a Netflix original picture with Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was explaining to you a little bit about what No Film School is, and uh, I think, like, it's going to be great if we can just hear how you managed to build this career. Um, so maybe can we get, uh, can I get a sense for how you, you started off in the industry? Sure, yeah. Um, first, I mean, it's a real, real pleasure to be talking with you here and uh um, the, I started off, you know, I, I grew up in a small blue-collar community in New England. Mm-hmm. And my dad, John Fusco. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, he, everyone he, in every story is going to be yeah, named yeah, John. Yeah, that's everyone, right. You got him. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So he, he was a junkyard owner. Mm-hmm. He owned an auto salvage yard. Um. And I grew up working in that yard. So I was kind of, I was, I, I, I was the junkyard dog. Sure. Um, and, um, but from the time I was a kid, I loved movies so much. And I loved writing. And I wanted to, to be a screenwriter. Um, I wanted to be a filmmaker. And, of course, when you're growing up, you're working in the family junkyard in an area where... Um, you know, that's, that's quite removed from the arts. Mm-hmm. You're looked at as being a little crazy, you know, or as my dad would say, well, but. Yeah, especially yeah. in a traditional <clears throat> sort of family. You know? <laughs> that's right, yeah. right. And, you know, look, I understand that. And, and my dad grew up, you know, during the Depression. And, you know, you, you got a real job and you, you, um, you went to work. But I just, I loved filmmaking with with such a passion that I was determined to make a career out of it. And I talk about that all through school. Um, And I wrote a lot. Uh, I I got a gift from the movie gods um, in the form of a Super 8 camera that I found in the trunk of one of the junked cars. And that was a sign. And I started writing and and shooting my own films. Um, Eventually, as I got into my teens, I pivoted towards songwriting because I couldn't find um, any outlet or, or any really, you know, hope for the future. Um, and so the, the writing kind of went toward lyri- writing lyrics, and um, I found out none of these garage bands could really sing, so I sang them, and I ended up launching a music career, dropping out of high school wow. and going on the road at, you know, 17 years old. Huh. And so I did that till I was 21. I was writing all the time. Writing, uh, was it like short I was writing, stories? I was writing prose. prose. I was, yeah, I was doing a kind of Kerouac thing on the road with with the band, and mm-hmm. and it was it was great. Uh, it was the best high school for me in terms of absorbing character and seeing the world. And, mm-hmm. um, but uh, eventually, somewhere on a lonely South Carolina highway, traveling with this this band in a, a renovated '58 school bus, I um, I had this epiphany. And um, I remember the whole band was sleeping other than the driver, thank God. I was sitting in the back of the bus looking at those guys and thinking, is this, this where I'm heading? Mm. You know, why did I ever let go of that first dream mm. of, of filmmaking? And I, and, and I made up my mind then. I said, you know, I know enough now that um, 
<clears throat> the opportunities there if you go out and carve it and make it and you don't need to to have the support of the community you come from mm. so i returned home um went to night school got a ged got into a community college and now i was i was really hungry for this and determined to work at it and so i just i wrote mm. incessantly um i studied uh, screenplay format and films and just kept working at it then got into a liberal arts college and then applied to NYU Tisch School of the Arts to the dramatic writing program I, I also went to NYU you did yeah oh, okay <laughs> this is getting spooky spooky okay so anyway I I um I got into the dramatic writing program mm -hmm. and my first screenplay was a uh, a, a feature, I wrote it in my Screenwriting 101, and I, I misunderstood the assignment. Um, it was supposed to be a 10-page short by the end of the semester. I turned in a, a full-blown feature, which I mean, I, I think speaks to, you know, how badly I wanted to do this, and, 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 and also how much story material I had accrued, um, you know, mm -hmm. taking this, this path less followed by and being out on the road. Um, the professor was kind of taken aback that I turned in a feature, but he also, he encouraged me to, to enter it in a national screenwriting competition. Back at that time, it was called FOCUS, the FOCUS Awards, Films of College and University Students. Mm. That, it was like the, the Nichols Fellowship sort of, 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 that, of the period. Mm. And um, it was sponsored by Nissan. The first prize was a brand new automobile and if you were a finalist you were flown to LA and you met studio heads and and agents and my my student screenplay my first screenplay um, became a finalist and then won first place and so I got that new Nissan car and I signed with the William Morris agency um, I felt that and I've got to say the car was very meaningful to me because my my dad um, he had this, being a junkyard owner, um, had this, this interesting uh, learning lesson for me when I screwed up, and that's whatever car that he had fixed up for me to drive, um, if I screwed up, he would run it through the crusher and crush it into a square block. And so I had four or five of those square blocks. But now I had my own brand new automobile. Yeah. So that was meaningful to me. I sold it so I could keep going to school. Sure. And then... Um, my second screenplay I wrote in a master's class taught by three screenwriting legends all at once. The three, three guys literally sat at the head of the table, taught the class together, and that was Waldo Salt, okay. who won the Oscar for Midnight Cowboy wow. and Coming Home, Ring Lardner Jr., who won the Oscar for MASH, and Ian McClellan Hunter, who won for Roman Holiday. Wow. And so... Um, the screenplay that I developed in that class was called Crossroads, and it was a, a traveling, a kind of blues music odyssey that was semi-autobiographical. Mm -hmm. um, I was given a lot of encouragement by these teachers, these professionals, and I finished it in time to enter in the Focus Awards again. And it strangely won first place. Again, back to back, back to back. Was this two years in a row or was two this... years in a row, two wow. years in a row. And this time I got a Nissan that I could keep. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. I'm looking at your, your, your badge and your name and our name. Right. Yeah. So 
there was this became this joke. Rob Reiner was was the 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 uh, the master of ceremonies, and he had gotten up and he said, "Do you have you noticed that Focus Focus Film Awards is an anagram of Fusco?" And actually, they they created a new law after that that you you couldn't you couldn't win two years in a row. In, so, but uh, the but Fusco Focus the, law. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was it. The bylaw. So I I um, had the script. Uh, purchased uh, by Columbia Pictures, bought the script. Um, and, you know, look to me, that was, it was a, a spec script. Um, I had been on the road for a long time and uh, it was just a game changer. The, the movie went into production with Walter Hill directing, shooting the Mississippi Delta. And that was the start of my, my career. Um, quite a few people, you know, referenced it as an overnight success mm -hmm. but then I always said you weren't with me for those six years of you know where I was uh, on the road yeah and, what and inspired this working story. In, in sawmills and, and uh, uh, factories and playing you know music as a traveling musician mm -hmm. but so that that was the that was how it how it worked out so well, you know, when you were studying uh, these things prior to even getting it, well, you it, you said you were studying them also in school, but uh, when you study screenplays and when you study movies, uh, what are you looking for? What are you uh, picking up on that aids you in your own writing process? Well, I mean, back in, in at that point, you know, I really, I wanted to understand the format. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and... So it was. I, I was studying the, the the kind of the mechanics of it and the flow, and um, one of the first screenplays that that I read was Chinatown, mm -hmm. you know, which you know I know is like a kind of a watershed screenplay. And once I I understood the format and really had it down, I felt like I, I got my wings and could fly. And I was convinced that this was the format that I was I was meant to write in. Um, I. What I, I really believe that screenplays need to be a true reading experience. I, I think every screenplay should be at a level of, of you know, being published and that it should be a great, great reading experience and that a screenwriter should have all the, the requisite prose skills. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I would look for that. I would look for, for the, the, the approach to the prose, um, economy of prose, mm -hmm. how much do you really need you know, it's a, it's a fine line between, you know, being overwrought and being being too too bare mm -hmm. and, and, you know, too simple. And so it was trying to find that, that, that right balance to forge my own style and to feel comfortable in it where the writing of it is a natural, artistic and exciting flow. How do you like to write action? Because, you know, we talk about, like, the economy of prose, mm, essentially. Yeah. And I, when I'm writing, I'm always like, is, is there too much here? Like, I want my script to be, what, like 90 to 100 pages, but I could probably go on in yeah. prose about, like, what is happening here. I right. think, how, how specific do you want to be in terms of, like, describing your surroundings, describing the character? When do you s describe the character? Yeah. Um, now, when you say writing action, are you, you mean narrative? Just yeah, just like narrative. The narrative probably between yeah dialogue. Yeah, because the, action's a whole other yeah. ball of wax <laughs> that we could talk about. And I've I've done plenty of that. Yeah, I, I well have, you do. I think a unique approach to how I do that. But the um, narrative, I feel. Well, I feel like the key is you want to you you really want to strive for economy, mm -hmm. but you want to have it, you know, layered. 
Hmm. You want you want the subtext that resonates. So it's just you know how lean can you be, and and but at the same time, um, you you know, you really want to to land the imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just it's it's finding that balance. You know, hmm. what about action? How do you write action? Action, you know. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story um, because I, I practice martial arts. I, I have most of my life, mm-hmm. and like when I did um, the Forbidden Kingdom mm-hmm. a few years back with Jet Li, and Jackie Chan, um, we had hired Yuan Wu Ping, mm-hmm. who's like the world's greatest martial arts choreographer. He created the Crouching Tiger aesthetic that that we know mm-hmm. of, and this guy's the master. I mean, he goes back to the the, the true Hong Kong um, wuja mm-hmm, style. Mm-hmm. And so he was sitting there with me and, and we were doing a read through and he spoke in Cantonese and the interpreter said, you know, master says usually writers in their action just say, and now they fight mm-hmm. and they leave it to him. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're like choreographing all the moves and everything like that. Well, yeah, I mean, I have, I've, I've, I have studied it and I kind of know the applications and, and I love to write out those fights, but also what I find with action is you want to create a kind of metrical rhythm and effect that mm-hmm. that kind of you know mirrors the time that it, you know it would take on the screen. Mm-hmm. Because to just say you know now they fight or this is you know you know the greatest fist fight ever seen in cinema ensues in the parking lot. You know I want to have a sense of of how much time is going by and and I like to try to reveal character in in action. Mm-hmm in fight scenes, mm. in combat scenes. And Marco Polo, I was very involved in, in the court, not only martial arts choreography, but battle choreography. Mm-hmm. I kind of you know, studied, studied that, studied you know, horse warfare. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm very interested in, in the art of war and battle strategy, and I like to get, like to get that on the page. Yeah, I mean, we always hear like about how you should write something from your own unique perspective and it seems like a lot of your movies uh deal with sort of like the western culture or like battles as as action as you're as you're saying um and it is almost like it's something that only you could write in that sense because you have this sort of americana background with your Mm -hmm. blues crossroads your martial arts training from your entire life and it's an interesting intersection there yes yeah we see your uh that we see your films come out from um you're so we, we we talked about how you first got into screenwriting how would you say that your screenwriting process has evolved um from when you first started to now i know that's mm-hmm. a big question but like what are the major things you've learned uh in your career that you've adjusted your process to well for one i've learned that um that the best approach for me with each screenplay um isn't necessarily going to be the, the same same approach, the same techniques. Um, there are some screenplays that I outline endlessly before going into. There are some where I just use certain signposts and allow myself some creative freedom. Um, it, it's just, it's kind of a feel into, to each screenplay that I go into. Um, I think my, my process has always been blue collar. And when I say I, I grew up in a community that didn't understand the arts, I also have to say I'm very grateful that the ethos of hard blue collar work carried over mm-hmm. into, into my screenwriting. So for um, the first 20 years of my career, 
I would get up before 5 a.m. every morning and start writing by five. Mm. It was almost a kind of superstition. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found was that not only was the rest of the world asleep, or at least the re- you know my my home and yeah. my neighborhood, <laughs> you know, but you know everyone around you, you you kind of psychologically you felt like protected. You felt like you had your space, mm-hmm. and um, you know you can go out on the limb. Uh, <clears throat> also. You know, medical research has shown that um, at that early hour, your your right brain is still in a semi-dream, Interesting. fertile state, and the left brain, which is the editor, isn't stepping in and editing. You haven't gotten up. You haven't kind of polluted it with CNN, with newspapers. You know, with breakfast talk, whatever. You're you're just you're rolling out of bed in the dark, going over to your your workspace. And it's just like you flow, you roll, segue from the dream state into the writing. And so I found that that was the magic hour for me. And when I would go back and look at my my work, I could see where it was strongest between five and nine. And then I could see the editor starting to step in. Um, so, but for the first 20 years, I would write from five um, through, you know, pretty deep into the day, mm-hmm. so eight, nine hours mm. a day. And I would crack the whip on myself. And I just felt like, you know, you've got to do it. This is the way to get it done. Mm. Um, what I, the way that that schedule and that approach has evolved is that I now, I now feel I can accomplish in three hours what once took me all day mm. to do. Um, and I think it's just, it's, you know, over time and experience, I think that my, my chops have just come along where, where I, can, I can do that. But I think, um, I think that it's, it's the work that you put in, you know, early on in your career. Mm. And you need to spend real time, real, real hours in there. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, you know, just from how you've been speaking about the right brain and the left brain, uh, that you don't really want to be editing as you're writing in no, a way. No, that's right. Yeah. Can you no, speak a little bit more about sure, that? Sure, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like turning on the faucet and just, just letting, it, letting it flow. Yeah. Um, you're going to have the time to go back and, and rewrite, you mm-hmm. know, and it's an old adage, but it's, it's, it's true writing is, is rewriting. But you need to, to, you know, psychologically give yourself that, that freedom to make mistakes, to mm-hmm. not write your best stuff, to just throw shit at the wall, as we say, mm-hmm. and just get out there and let it flow and you'll get into a zone. And you know when it's really working, when, you know, you've, you've been writing, you, it feels like you've been writing for half an hour and you look up and it's been four hours yeah. and you've got real pages and it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go back and edit. Something that I do, I, I haven't, I don't think I've ever met another writer who, who does this approach, but over time I've come to realize that I, I, I do this pretty much on, on every screenplay once it gets going. I start at page one every single day. So it doesn't matter if I'm on page 88. When I go in the next day, I, st- I, have to, I start at the beginning of the screenplay. You, and, so you literally go back and... I, and I read. And you read. And I read mm-hmm. and, and I adjust. Yeah. I adjust because now, you know, what happened on page 75 is going to impact 
what, what, what I did on page 12. But it also, there's another uh, benefit to it, and that is I, I always call it like the running head start. And it's like you start at page one, you get up ahead of steam, mm -hmm. you plow into page 88, and you plow past it a little farther, mm -hmm. and then you go back to page one the next. Because you need to have, you, to just go in, in a vacuum and come in and start writing midway in the second act. For me, it just doesn't work. It's like it's too cold of a start. Right. I have to see the movie. Every yeah. day. I have to feel the pacing, the rhythm, the tone. The and characters, too. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask uh, what's something that you see uh, again and again uh, in screenwriters, uh, maybe young screenwriters, that are mistakes that uh, they should look out for and correct? Hmm. I think, uh, you know, one of those things is kind of overwritten scenes. Mm -hmm. You know, scenes that can go on six, seven pages, you know, of dialogue. Mm. And I think that um, really paring dialogue down to the to the bare essentials um, is is key. Mm. And I think that's that's mm -hmm. a big part of screenwriter growth. And you, you can kind of recognize it when you say, OK, this scene um, could have made this point in half a page. Mm. Um, what I see is not enough awareness that what we're writing are motion pictures. And that's why I think that, um, you know, my rela your, your, your program is no film school. Yeah. And that's, that's super cool. And um, my film school experience was, was a little different because film school, you know, there, it had its advantages and I learned, but... But a lot of what I learned, I, I, it was kind of native knowledge that I brought with me right. and, and learned on my own. Um, but something that you, you, you find is that these scenes that are, are just uh, uh, overwritten, mm. overwritten. And so I think it's really finding silent films. That's what I was going to say. Mm. In film school, one of, one of the most valuable courses I had was this studying silent films hmm. and, the, and, and seeing a lot of them and kind of taking a look at your material and saying, what if this was a silent film? Hmm. I think my new movie um, uh, has a lot of that. Yeah. It has a lot of, in, in many ways, a kind of a, 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 a tone poem, a haunting tone poem, mm -hmm. and, and where I, I spent a lot of time studying scenes and saying, okay, this is you know, the, it's a four and a half page dialogue scene. If I was going to do this without dialogue, how would it work? And and then if you know, what dialogue do I absolutely need? Um, that's that's how that's something that I think is very valuable. And one of the mistakes I do see are, are overwritten scenes. Do you have a greater role in the project normally once the screenplay has been written? Because I feel like. Uh, the movies that I've seen, the the Marco Polo too, it seems like you have a greater stamp than just screenwriter. Like, are you on set? Are you? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a great question. And um, <clears throat> my first first experience with Crossroads, and I always say, now I say not to be confused with Britney Spears Crossroads. Yes, <laughs> this is 1986. Uh, Crossroads. But you also wrote Britney Spears' Crossroads, oh, God, too. God, so. no. <laughs> That's the other John Fusco. Yeah, no, right. The, um, Not me either. No, 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 no. <laughs> the, uh, the guy in Campobasso. Yeah. Put it on him. But no, 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 no offense at all. I mean, I have never even seen it, but, yeah. but it's just that my movie was a, a, a blues odyssey, a road, road movie. Mm -hmm. 
um, that Ry Cooter did the soundtrack for, and it was it, it got into you know it's, it explores the legend of blues lore and the crossroads and Robert Johnson and all that. But um, you know that was the first movie, and while my head was spinning and I was ecstatic, and it was the the first big break. Um, once the d- dust and the confetti and the celebration mm-hmm. and the buzz mm-hmm. settled, and I looked back at it, I felt like that's not my movie. Mm-hmm. And what happened? And and I felt I was so enamored of the names and and the the opportunity of what was going on that um, I, I I lost control of it. I, I was 24 years old, you know, so you you know and can't be blamed, I guess. Right. But from that point on, I talked to my agents and I said, "How do I avoid that going forward?" And they said, "You need to attach yourself as a producer." But if you do that, it could, it could uh, you know, it could hold back a sale because you know, a lot of studios are like, no, we don't want, we don't want that. We don't mm-hmm. want him coming along as a producer. We don't want that attachment. You know, directors might not like it. Mm-hmm. But I made up my mind that everything I did, I would attach myself as a producer to come along with, like Young Guns was the first. Was that after, so that was after your first film? That it was you after my first film. Wow. And I think that the leverage that I had was, Young Guns, which, you know, after my agents told me that writing a Western would be career suicide, and I went and did it anyway, um, that the, the whole town um, was excited about that script at that time, and all these young actors wanted to do it. Yeah. And I said, you can't have it unless I come along as a producer, not just a nominal producer, but an executive producer. Like, like a creative. Yeah, creative producer is going to be on the right. set and be there. And I did it, and it, it, it really it, it worked out. And I think one of the reasons it did was, um, I, I feel, and this is so key to remember, a writer's relationship with the director is so important. And you, you want to let that director know that you're not a backseat driver, that you're there, to, you're a support system for that director, that you're also the best technical advisor he, could ever, he or she could ever hope to have. Yeah. And in, in the case of all my movies, I feel I've brought that. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, you know, to, to create a great relationship with the director going in is so key. And so I've done that. And, and that's why, yes, I've been involved in the casting, mm-hmm. music. I'm on set. I'm there. If, you know, some directors have trusted me to the point where they'll send an actor to, over to talk to me on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, some on the movies that I haven't produced... I haven't produced them because I got to know the director really well, and I'm still on set doing the same thing, but then I can go home if I want. Yeah. <laughs> um, Marco Polo was a different thing. Now we're getting into the world of the creator showrunner. Right. And that's, you know, where you're in total control. Yeah. And you're in control of everything. In the case of Marco Polo, um, and you mentioned my bringing my background yes, in, yes. into the things. You know, I brought in my horse people. Mm-hmm. I brought in Mongolians I knew from the steppe. Wow. Martial arts choreographers. It was kind of, I brought in like all the components of my, yeah. my life and background. Yeah. And, and that was the show. Well, great. I mean, I'm going to have to wrap up here, unfortunately. Oh, man, we could, like, I'm talk enjoying for, it. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I'm going to ask you uh, a question I ask most of my guests. Yeah. And uh, that's if you had a piece of golden advice your, your best piece of advice for emerging screenwriters, for people who are trying to get the, uh, what the Fusco focus uh, <laughs> yes. distinction, yeah. what would that be? You know, 
keep a bit of a chip on your shoulder. Believe in yourself and um, try, you know, if you get negative criticism or there's like there's doubt or you look out there and say, man, this is so freaking hard, you know, go out and punch harder and believe in yourself and know. And I can say this, that most of my projects that got made, I willed into existence. And it's like, you know, in indie filmmaking, I have a director friend. He's like, one of the best things you can do, put a start date on the movie. If there's no money, there's no nothing. Oh, we got a, We have a start date. Mm-hmm. Start dates start to attract. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, but you can will a freaking movie into existence. You got to go out there, fight for it, build those relationships. Um, most importantly, write the best piece of material material you can. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Awesome. This thank, has been it's been a pleasure, so John Fusco. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your South by Southwest. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the No Film School podcast on whatever podcast platform you so choose. This is it. This is, for all intents and purposes, my last podcast with No Film School. Uh, I am. It's bittersweet. I think that we have grown a really remarkable program here and a tremendous resource for filmmakers who are uh, trying to make their own films happen i know it's helped me immensely in my own craft i hope it's helped you in yours gotta thank ryan Koo for giving me this opportunity liz nord emily booter eric lures the whole gang who brought this thing to life it's been a real privilege and i hope that these interview episodes keep happening long after i'm gone to stay in touch with me uh, you can follow me on Twitter, as always, at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. I got a short coming out that'll hit the internet eventually, so, you know, stick around for that. And I guess uh, that's going to be it from me. So once again, thanks everyone for listening and tuning in for these past three years. Follow No Film School at No Film School and keep up to date every day with the latest in filmmaking news by visiting the site. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>